we are going to be continuing our series in Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Mark chapter 11, and uh, we will get to that text in just a little bit. But this whole uh, end part of Mark deals with the, the Passion Week. The, the week, it starts with the triumphal entry, and it goes all the way through the time where Jesus uh, is crucified and is resurrected. And, and so that's what these last few chapters in, in Mark are all about, and we're going to be taking uh, a look at that this morning. But before we get into the text, I got some serious questions for you, uh, and you can raise your hand to these. Uh, first off, would anyone in here say this morning that you are a person who enjoys receiving gifts? You can raise your hand. You can be honest. All right, most hands in this building are raised. Now, uh, also, you can raise your hand to this question. How many of you uh, would say that you are someone who loves to give gifts? All right, not quite as many hands, but still quite, I'm shocked by the number of hands that are raised. You like to, to give gifts, and that's a good thing. Now, for me, I, I fall in both categories. I, of course, I love receiving gifts. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, but I also love to give gifts so long as they're good gifts, right? I, I like to get those gifts that are just like, the, the person opens it up and they're like, wow, you are so thoughtful. Like, how did you know me this well? Like, this was so uh, intentional. This was so perfect. It's so personalized. I like to get those kind of gifts. So I don't like giving gifts when I can't think of anything, where it's just like, here you go. I know it's going to end up in the garbage can in a few months, right? We've all probably given those gifts. So then you resort to, here's some cash. And they're thinking, oh, wow, you are so thoughtful. How did you know I wanted cash? And, uh, you know, so it, it's nice to receive uh, gifts, but have you ever gotten a gift, and you know, usually these gifts come in like a large gift bag or something like that, and there's all that tissue paper going everywhere. You reach your hand in there, you pull it out, and, and you think, well, this is nice, but is there more in that bag, right? Have you guys ever been there before? And, and the problem is, giving gifts, is, it's kind of like a total mind game, because now you're sitting there thinking, do I reach in the bag and see if there's anything else in there, or does that make me look rude to the person, like... Uh, yeah, this isn't enough. Or do I just sit back and wait humbly and wait until they say, oh, did you check the rest of the present? Well, I know I didn't. I can't believe you got me more. Like, this is so generous of you. You know, gift giving, it's a, it's a total, it's total mind game, trying to figure all these things out. We're always wondering, is there more? Is there that second gift? Is there that, you know, Red Rider BB gun hidden behind the tree somewhere? And, and we wonder these things. Um, I remember one time I went to a birthday party. And I didn't have time to, to go out and buy a present, so I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll give them cash because who's going to argue with, you know, some money? And, uh, but I thought, I, I want to be a little bit more creative than just giving him money. So I went and got a box, and I filled it with rocks. And uh, I was going to put the money in there because I thought, he's going to think, oh, I got a box of rocks. This is going to be great. So I wrapped it all up, went to the birthday party, and, and uh, opens it up, and, and I got the reaction I was looking for, you know, like, are you serious? Like, you got me a box of rocks? And I'm like, no, just, just keep digging, you know? And then he keeps digging and, and looks, uh, looks deeper. And, and then I got a reaction I wasn't expecting of, is there more than a box of rocks here? And uh, I realized that I had forgotten to put the money in the box of rocks. <laughs> and it was sitting at home. I didn't even have it with me, you know? So he was wondering, man, is there more? Where is more? And that's a question that, that we all ask at some point or another, is there more? And it's not simply about presents or gifts, but it's about life. Is there more to this life? And, and we've all pondered that at one time or another. Is there more to this life or have I achieved everything I'm going to achieve? Is, is there no more for me out there? Is there more? It's an important question 
Because it shows that we aren't satisfied with the way that things are right now, but that we desire more and we desire greater things. But the problem with this question is that depending on who we ask, we get different answers, right? And if we ask the wrong person, we might think that there isn't more. We might think that there's nothing left that this life has to offer, and that can lead us to a very, very dark place. And we see that happening in this world all the time. People who have reached that dark place who think there's nothing more to this life. But if we ask the right person, our, our, our response, our answer can be something very, very different. So the answer to this question can cause us to push for greater things or it can cause us to give up. So this morning, I want to go to the person who has all the answers, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the best person to ask this question, is there more? How do I get more? So again, if you got your Bibles open to Mark chapter 11, we're going to be looking, uh, starting at verse 15 this morning. Two weeks ago, a uh, pastor preached a message out of the beginning part of this passage about the fig tree. That happened on Monday morning of Passion Week where he went out, he was hungry, and he saw this, this fig tree and said, you know, I'm going to get some food off there, but there was no food on the fig tree. And uh, so he cursed the tree, and a little while later they found out that the tree had, had withered, it had all dried up. So this is happening directly following uh, the fig tree this morning. I always fear when I say withered fig tree, I'm going to mess it up because my pastor growing up always accidentally called it the feathered wig tree, and uh, we never let him live that down. So the withered fig tree, uh, this happens directly after that in verse 15, says this. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, Usually when you read this passage, or usually when you think about Jesus just in general, uh, you don't picture Jesus as turning over tables and uh, driving people out. You usually picture Jesus as, like, smiling, right? You, you think of happy Jesus. You think of Jesus as, like, holding a baby or, you know, letting the little children come to him. Or maybe you picture Jesus as, uh, you know, healing the blind guy or, or calming the storm or walking on water. But you know, those are all nice things. Those are all, we picture Jesus as a peaceful sort of a guy, and he was. Uh, but he did have moments like this where, man, it was kind of like, what happened to Jesus that day, right? He, he was overturning tables. He was driving people out. And, and it says that this wasn't the first time that this happened. Uh, actually, three years prior to that, this was one of the first things that Jesus did was clear out the temple. Uh, it's recorded in John chapter 2, and in, in that account, it actually said that he made a whip out of cords, and he drove out all the cattle and all the sheep that were sitting in the temple courts that morning, and, and drove everybody out. So Jesus does it again. He's overturning tables. He, he's, he's getting after people and saying, you need to get out of here. This isn't right. Now, I wonder what the disciples were thinking in this moment, right? They saw him earlier that day, curse a fig tree because it didn't have any figs on it, and now today they're seeing him, you know kick over tables and, and get after people. And they're probably thinking like, wait, isn't this the same Jesus who told us to turn the other cheek? You know, isn't this the same Jesus who, who preached peace and love and all these things? Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning or something? Like, this, this just doesn't seem like him. But in reality, 
Jesus was never out of control in his, his actions. Uh, he, he was not simply taking out his pent-up anger on these people and, and, and just like, ah, here's, here's something I can really just uh, rail into him on. See, Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect. He was holy. And he never allowed his anger to control himself. But he was always intentional with his actions. See, this was the temple. This was the place where people were supposed to come, where people were supposed to worship and, and offer sacrifices to God. But over time, the chief priests had allowed these merchants, these money changers, to come into the temple. Really, who knows if it started as a good idea or, or started off as a greedy idea. But the concept was they let them in because people were supposed to come to the temple and offer sacrifices. And they wanted to make it uh, more convenient for the people to offer sacrifices. So rather than having to bring an animal with them, because some people traveled great distances to come to the temple, they thought, well, we'll just set up shop here, and uh, we'll have animals for sale. They'll be able to come in, buy a, you know, a pre-blessed animal that's all ready to go, and they can sacrifice this animal, and uh, there'll be no worries. Plus, we can make some money off of it. Uh, there was also the money changers in there. There was a temple tax that the people had to pay to the Roman government when they took over. And so they had to exchange their currency for the Roman currency. And of course, the money changers made a few bucks off of it. And eventually this whole thing became corrupt. It may have even started corrupt, but it was definitely corrupt when Jesus came in on this situation. Here these people are making a profit off of what God had designated as holy. See, Jesus saw this sin that was going on and he needed to put an immediate stop to it. He couldn't stand seeing God's house being used as a house of commerce rather than as a house of prayer. He did this not out of anger, but out of love, out of some tough love that day. He said, you know what? We need, I need to teach them a lesson. I need to show them what the truth is because really they're just hurting themselves. Now, there were two responses to Jesus's teaching that day. It said the first response came from the uh, the religious elite, from the teachers of the law, from the people who were profiting off of the business, right? And, and it said that they were angered, that they were outraged, that they wanted to kill him, which they did plot and figure out how to kill him later on that week. But that was the first response. The second response was the, the people there who weren't profiting off of this business said they were amazed, right? They were amazed at Jesus' teaching. They were amazed at what he did. They were amazed they thought, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. They weren't like, whoa, what, what is Jesus doing? Why is, he, why is he making such chaos? No, they were amazed at his teaching. The only people who were angry were the people who were making money. And Jesus put an end to that. See, everyone else at the, the scene, they were totally and completely amazed. Now, it wasn't probably long after that that all the merchants and all the money changers probably just set up shop and uh, went back to what they were doing after Jesus left. I mean, after all, this wasn't the first time he had cleared the temple. Uh, they, they went back to it before, and they probably went back to it again and, and had shops set up even later that afternoon or later that night. But I think when we read this passage, we can get so focused on what Jesus did that we forget about what he taught. We get so focused on Jesus overturning tables and, and driving people out that we forget uh, the words that he said that day. So I want to really look at that this morning. It says, uh, these were his words. He said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, the main point in this passage was uh, that Jesus was trying to get across to everyone that they were using the temple in the wrong way, that it 
It was supposed to be a house of prayer, not a house of commerce. Jesus wasn't as concerned with what they were doing wrong as he was with what they weren't doing right. It's kind of a confusing statement, I'll say that again. Jesus wasn't as concerned with what they were doing wrong as he was with what they were doing, weren't doing right. See, just like that fig tree he had encountered that, sm- that morning, uh, he cursed it because it wasn't fulfilling its purpose. It wasn't doing what God had created it to do. And when he walked into the temple, he saw the same thing. This temple isn't doing what it was created to do. These people aren't doing what they were created to do. They're supposed to be praying. They could be praying, but instead they're, they're selling things and they're trying to make a profit. This is supposed to be a place of prayer. That's what caught Jesus' attention. It wasn't that they were selling things. It was that they weren't praying. They were passing up so much potential. They took something that God intended to be holy and they used it for a less than holy purpose. Now, my son Luke, he is three years old right now, and he is obsessed. If any of you have spent any time with him, he's obsessed with the movie Cars, all right? He, he loves cars. He loves watching it. He loves collecting the cars. He loves playing with the cars. He loves talking about cars. In fact, if you went up to him today and said hi, he'd probably say hi, and then he'd tell you about the latest car that he just found, right? That, that's just what he does. That's his world. And so uh, this Christmas... He, he got a present, and it was this car's garage. I mean, it was like all decked out. It had lots of cool stuff in it, and, and he was just so excited, right? And uh, it, this, this thing, I mean, it had three floors. This, this garage did. On the first floor, it had a car wash. On the second floor, it had like a mechanic shop in it. On the third floor, it had uh, a TV camera with a place to do post-race interviews. It had an elevator to deliver you to all the floors. It had a spiral racetrack on it. Uh, It had a security booth. It had a concession stand. I mean, there was very little this thing didn't have, right? So uh, being that I was his dad, but also being a little boy myself once, um, I was really excited to play with it. Um, You know, so he got it all put together. And we sat down and I was showing him how to use all the things. I was showing him how to wash the cars. I was showing him, you know, how to race the cars down. I was showing him how to use the elevator and bring it to the different levels and how to do a post-race interview and how to jack up the car in the mechanic shop. And, and, uh, you know, I thought, man, this is going to be good. And then he didn't use it for any of those things, right? He, He discovered that if you take the cars and instead of putting them on top of the elevator and if you put them on the bottom of the elevator, it turns into a car smasher right? So he spent the first half an hour just like smashing all of his cars. He thought that was really cool. And then the next thing he discovered was, how many cars can I fit in the garage, right? So he shoved as many things as he could to pack it all out until everything just came out. Uh, And then the third thing he did was he just tipped it over and used it as a ramp the rest of the time. And it was just like, son, you're missing the point. Like, look at all these bells and whistles this thing came with, and you're using it to beat up cars. Like, that's, that's your main purpose. That's your main goal. That's, that's not what it was intended for. And I wonder, how many times does God the Father look at us, and he says, man, I made them with all these bells and whistles. I, I put talents. I put abilities in them. And they're using it for their own selfish purposes. They're, they're doing more destruction than they are good. Man, I had such great plans, but, but they're living out their own plans. See, that's what Jesus saw that day when he walked into the temple. 
Here was a place that God had intended for prayer, for his glory, a place where people who were lost could find new life, right? A place where people could connect with God like they could never connect with God before. This is what the intention, this is why the temple was built. And he walks in and he sees people just making a profit. He sees people just trying to make a few bucks. See, the temple and the people in the temple that day weren't living out their purpose. See, really, this is a sad story that we read about here. See, here's a large group of people who are in a good place. They're in a right place, right? A large group of people in the temple. What better place could they be than in the presence of God? What better place can they be in a place that that they could connect with God? They were in a position to hear from God, a position to receive from God. But they didn't recognize where they were, and they didn't recognize whose they were. They allowed the busyness of life to block out the blessings of heaven. They allowed the busyness of life to block out the blessings of heaven. See, they valued money more than they valued the presence of God. Man, that's, that's convicting when you think about it. They, they valued money more than they valued the presence of God. How many times have we been guilty of that? They valued stuff more than they valued the presence of God. So easy to allow just the busyness of life to, to interfere with our relationship with God. I mean, for starters, you have jobs and you have family, and, and those two alone can fill out an entire day. They can fill out an entire calendar, uh, supporting our families and spending time with our families. It, it can be very busy when you add all the, the different things that come along with that. But then you add on top of that, uh, you know, those little devices in our pockets that can grab our attention uh, with just a beep or with one vibration, and then it's like, oh, I, I've got I've to deal with this right now. And, and you add on top of that all the different ways that we can entertain ourselves today. There's, there's so much entertainment just right at our fingertips. And it's easy to find excuses to say to God that, God, I just I didn't have time today. I mean, you saw all the things that just needed to be done. You saw all the urgent things and all the things that popped up, all the, the, the things I was surprised about today. And we allow the busyness of life to block out the blessings of heaven. See, prayer is powerful. There are limits to what we can accomplish on our own, but there's no limit to what God can accomplish. And there's no limit to what God can accomplish through us. But the only way we can accomplish those things is by connecting with God, and that's through prayer. That's the only way. It's through prayer. That's how we make the connection with God. The people in the temple that day thought that they would be missing an opportunity if they spent time praying. But really, they missed an opportunity because they spent time making money. They passed up immeasurably more by skipping out on prayer. See, when we pray... Uh, The Bible teaches us uh, that when we pray the way Jesus prayed, the way Jesus taught us, that we will receive what we ask for. The Bible says that, that when we pray that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in the midst of chaos, in the midst of worry. The Bible says that when we pray, we will receive power. We will receive strength. We will receive forgiveness. We will receive grace. That all happens through prayer. We receive healing when we pray. It says that when we pray, God hears us. Think about that. God hears us when we pray. It says when we pray that God will show us great and hidden things that are not known. Man, I like that one. 
that God's going to reveal to us mysteries when we pray. That when we pray, God delivers us from distress. And this is just a short list of, of passages in the Bible that tells us about prayer. There's many more things that we can receive when we pray. There are many more things that are, are broken and loose when we pray. But I believe that the devil wants to keep us so busy, so scheduled, so preoccupied, and even so entertained that we give little effort or thought to prayer, right? That's his plan. If he can just distract us and he can take us away from our power source, that's when he knows he has us. He knows that a, a Christian's power comes through prayer. And if he can cut us off from the source, then he knows that we are powerless. So church, what's crowding prayer out of your life this morning? Is it the urgent? Is it the loud? Is it the demanding or maybe the distracting? What's blocking prayer out of your life? What if we flipped the script? What if we made prayer the thing that was the most urgent in our life? What if God was the thing we were most distracted by? You know, rather than a text message or something like that, what if, what if we were most distracted by God? Like I was doing one thing, but man, I just needed to praise God. I just needed to spend time in prayer. I just needed to connect with him. And he was the one we were distracted by. He was the one that we continued to go to. He was the one we wanted to spend the most time with. What if we made prayer a top priority? Now, I don't know what distracts you this morning. Uh, maybe it's selfish purposes like the money changers, like the desire to get ahead or the desire to please yourself that's getting in the way. Or, or maybe it's it's one of the most noble purposes. Maybe it's a good reason that you're distracted. Maybe it's family uh, you know, that you are distracted by and it's getting in the way of prayer. But let me say this this morning. Even for the most noblest of reasons that prayer is getting crowded out of your life, we cannot pass up something great for something that's merely good. We can't pass up something great for something that's merely good. Uh, a few months ago, I proposed a question to one of our students in, in youth group, and I asked him uh, in this imaginary situation, I said, would you rather receive $1,000 every day for 30 days for one month, or would you rather receive a penny on day one and then double it every single day? So day one, you get one cent, day two, you get two cents, day three, four, day four, eight cents, right? And it doubles all the way. And uh, and immediately, without hesitation, is, well, I'll take the $1,000 every day because that's $30,000. And they played right into my plan. Uh, just hook, line, and sinker. They took that. Because then I, I did the math for them, and I showed them that, you know what, if you, would, if you would have waited and been patient, those first 15, 20 days, yeah, you're only making a few bucks total. But by day 30, you took home a $5 million paycheck, right? And if you add it all up throughout the month, you took home over $10 million. So they passed up. They, they took $30,000, which, hey, that's good. I think we'd all take $30,000 in here. But wouldn't we all rather have $10 million? Over the, they passed up something good for something great. And that's what the people in the temple did that day. They, they took something you know, that they thought was good, making money. But they passed up something great, which was the presence of God, which was connecting with God, the limitless God. See, in the end, the most important thing in this life is our relationship with Christ. It's more important than money, more important than jobs, and more important than even family. We cannot allow the busyness of life to block out the blessings of heaven. See, prayer is so vital to following Jesus. Prayer is how we connect with God. It's how we grow. It's how we learn. It's how we discover our purpose. It's how we discover that there is more out there. It's where we receive our power. See, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. 
I want you to think of prayer this way. Uh, think of yourself as a cell phone this morning, and uh, prayer is like the charging cord, right? That's how we connect with God. That's how we connect with the, the power source. And our spiritual battery, it's charged when we spend time in God's presence, when we spend time in prayer. And the nice thing about prayer, unlike cell phones, is that prayer is uh, wireless charging, right? You can pray anytime. You can pray anywhere. It, it doesn't matter. We can connect with God, whether we're in church, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're in some strange situation, we can connect with God. But the problem with cell phones is, is they usually die before 24 hours is over with, right? Uh, I know this on Wednesdays, I, I see about 10 kids sitting around an outlet, you know, plugging it in, trying to charge their phone because it's, it's been dead all day. And, uh, and it's the same thing in our life. Man, if we go 24 hours without praying, we can find ourselves spiritually dead, spiritually disconnected. We might think we're alive because, you know, look at me, I've still got some percentage left uh, up on my screen, but really that percentage is slowly ticking down and we're slowly spiritually dying. And, and when we need to be in that moment where we want God to use us and we haven't been prayed up and we're not ready and our battery's flashing zero percent, right? We need to be spiritually charged. We need to connect with God. We need to get plugged into the source and that's through prayer. So is prayer important to you or do you view prayer as, as an optional thing? As, well, I only do it when I need it. Because again, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And when you think about it, is a powerless Christian really a Christian at all? Is a powerless Christian really a Christian at all? Because really, I think a powerless Christian, a prayerless Christian, is what the, the world would deem as a hypocrite. Somebody who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we don't show it in our actions. We don't, we don't show it through our love. We don't show it through the power that God's given us because we're not charged up. We're not ready to go, and we start to look like every other person that we see. So is a prayerless Christian really a Christian at all? Church, I believe that Jesus didn't die for us so that the church could simply be a social gathering where we get together and, and we chat. Jesus didn't die for us so that we could live ordinary lives. Jesus didn't die for us so that we can pray just when we feel like it. But Jesus did die for us so that we could be forgiven. He died for us so that we could have access to the Father day or night. He died for us so that we could do the impossible. He died for us so he could take ordinary people and help them to do extraordinary things. He died for us so that lives could be changed. He died for us so that we could have new life. And we can't pass this gift up. We will never make it if we try to live for Christ without talking to him. Just like you'll never, a marriage will never survive if you don't talk to each other. We'll, we'll never survive our walk with Christ if we don't talk with him, if we don't spend time in prayer. See, we don't receive forgiveness uh, because of how hard we work or how well we live or how many good things we accomplish. God's grace is a free gift, and we receive it when we pray, when we ask for it, when we talk to him. And this morning, maybe, maybe you've never received that free gift. Maybe you've never experienced God's power. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't take any magic words. All it takes is saying, God, I surrender to you. God, I believe you died and you rose again. God, would you forgive me? Would you uh, be in charge of my life? It's simple words. It's no magic formula, but it's surrendering to him, and you can do that today. You can tap into that power if you never have, or if you haven't in a long time, you can still tap into the power that God has for us, and that's through prayer. So how can, how can you make prayer a priority in your life this week and for the rest of your life? Uh, a few ways we can do that is by scheduling time. 
right? Scheduling time into your schedule and saying, rather than making prayer the thing I do when I don't have anything going, why don't we make prayer scheduled into our schedule so that we know, like, no matter what, I'm going to spend time in prayer today. I'm going to spend time connecting with God because it's so important. It's so vital. I'm going to mark that as urgent in my calendar. I'm going to make sure that nothing else crowds it out, that nothing else gets in the way because I need to spend time in prayer today. It's so important to me. That's how we can make prayer a priority is by scheduling it. You know, and maybe that means turning down uh, friends, turning down opportunities, turning down me time, turning down different things in our lives that we say, ah, you know, I should have it. But really, it's optional. We can't view prayer as optional. We need to view it as most important. And then once we get into that time, uh, we need to remove distractions, whether it's turning off devices, turning off that TV, uh, putting your phone on silent or do not disturb. So that way, when you're spending time in prayer, you're not like, oh, what happened? You know, what's going on? So that way we can give God the best of our time. We can give him the fullness of our time. You know, maybe for some of you, you're sitting there still thinking like, man, there's just so much in my schedule. How am I going to fit it in? You know, maybe you can spend time multitasking, whether you're driving along. That's one of my favorite things to do is just drive around and spend time in prayer. Right? you got to drive anyway, so why not pray? Why not connect with God during that time? Or maybe doing chores or uh, something that you've got to do every day that you can just really connect with God even when you're accomplishing something else. So think about that. How can you make prayer a priority in your life? See, the answer to that question, is there more? When we ask Jesus that question, it's always yes. Yes, there is more. That's what he saw in the temple that day. Guys, there is more. You're missing out on so much. You could be spending time in prayer. You could be spending time connecting with God. But you're missing out on so much more. When we ask Jesus, is there more? The answer is always yes. It doesn't matter if you're five years old, 50 years old, 100 years old. The answer is always yes. Yes, there is more. There is more in Jesus Christ. There's always a new adventure that he has for us. God has more for you than what you are currently doing, but it starts on our knees. We discover our purpose on our knees. A prayerless Christian may be a powerless Christian, but a prayerful Christian is a powerful Christian. In church, my desire is if Jesus walked into this room today, that he would see uh, not money changers and, and people who are living the wrong way, but people who desire to pray, people who desire to spend time with him, that he would be pleased with what he sees us doing this morning, that we, he would be pleased that we would glorify him this morning. So this morning, we're going to turn this place into a house of prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team uh, if you would come back up and, and, and invite you to stand with your feet uh, this morning with me. And, and like I said, we just want to turn this place uh, into a house of of prayer. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. The worship team uh, is, is going to play. And uh, after I pray, you, you are free to go. Uh, but I challenge you, let's, let's make this place a house of prayer. Whether it's coming to this altar and just finding a spot to get alone with God, whether it's turning right where you are in your seat and, and spending time in prayer, whether it's maybe walking around in the back or going up to the balcony, wherever you can go to get alone with God, I challenge you to do that this morning. Even taking five minutes to say, you know what, God, this is top priority. God, for, for the next few minutes, God, I'm going to give you all of me. I'm not going to worry about what's going on. I'm not going to worry about what uh, schedule I have the rest of my day. But today, right now, right in this moment is a time to get alone with God. So let's turn this place into a house of prayer. Jesus, God, thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you uh, that when you see us, God, you say there's more. 
God, there's more. You have more in store for us. So God, I pray that we would not pass up this moment. We wouldn't pass up this opportunity. But God, that we would give it all to you. God, may we spend time in prayer. If there's anyone in this room this morning who, who has never accepted you, God, who has never prayed that first prayer of saying, Jesus, I need you. God, I pray that they would do that this morning and they would experience life like they've never experienced it. God, I pray for those who, who haven't connected with you in a while and, and, and God, maybe they feel like, will God even accept me if I come back to him? God, I, I pray that, that they would run to you this morning because I know that you've been waiting for them. You've been waiting for them just to, to open their mouths to speak to you. So God, would you embrace them this morning? God, I pray that, that in your presence, God, we thank you that there is power. So God, I pray that you would overtake us, that you would use us. And God, that we wouldn't leave prayer right here, but God, we would take it with us wherever we go. God, your word says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that, that we would be a temple of prayer no matter where we are. Not just in this building, but God, in our homes, God, at school, at our jobs. God, may we be a house of prayer. God, may we be people of prayer. So Lord, would you change us? God, would you speak? Would you hear us as we pray to you this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to prayer today, church.